we're going to jump right into Scripture here today. Romans 12, 9 through 18. Anybody got their bulletin? Anybody see the title at the top? Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that here in a minute. All right. Romans 12, 9 through 18. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Dang, Paul. Honor one another above yourselves. I'll just let that sink in. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Verse 12. Be joyful in hope, patient and in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Man, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of, the, of everyone. Look at this last one. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you. How many know you can't control somebody else, but you can control your response? Are you with me? Man, this is going to be a long day because I haven't even got to some of the most offensive material yet. Um, I didn't put a title to this message simply because I didn't want you to read it and then get offended and not listen to what we're actually talking about. So today's title, if you're writing it in, pull that up there for me, Scott. People suck. That was not a great time to amen. Because before you get ahead of me, See, we use that, you, you may be thinking, hey, oh, when we say, man, people suck, we're say, thinking people are just terrible people. They're, people are just terrible human beings or people are mean. Now, let me ask you a question. Without pointing fingers, without elbowing anybody, without verbally responding, Diana, um, who are the most, who is the most life-sucking, energy-draining person in your life? Think about it. Here's why I ask. We've all got those people. Oh, Y'all don't? Come on now. I mean, I'm talking about life-suckers we have to deal with on a daily basis. Whether uh, we're at, we work with them, whether we're at the gym with them or uh, in the neighborhood or at school. And yes, even at church, there are life suckers. We all have those people that just have this ability. It's a gift, if you will. That whenever they come into the room, they just suck the life and the energy right out of you. You know, and, and or you're at... You know, you're at Walmart, you see them, and you hope they don't see you. So you go down three or four aisles to avoid them. Or you go like, oh, that gummy, they saw me. Hey. <laughs> Come on, y'all know. And here's the thing. If that wasn't enough to have actual people that are life suckers in their life, 
we go back in history in our life. People we went to school with, people we grew up with, people we could not wait to get them out of our lives. And we invite them back into our lives with a friend request. Come on. Or, I know some of you don't understand this, you don't have to accept every friend request. No, you don't. I'm about to show you. I'm about to show you. But I want to give you some of my top online life suckers. And now listen, if this is you, own it, repent, and move on. Own it, repent, and move on. One, one of my top uh, online life suckers is mi misery person. Misery man, misery woman. Something is always wrong. Something's, oh, if it wasn't bad enough, now my gal's acting up. I got corns on my feet as big as golf balls. Things are terrible. Come on. Y'all know, some of y'all, if you're quiet, I'm going to assume it's because that's you. Oh, here, Facebook quiz person. They've never come across a quiz they did not like and love it so much they want to share it with all their friends. Here's another one. I love Jesus more than you. If you love Jesus, you'll repost this. Let's see me how many people repost this. I doubt you love Jesus as much as I do. That's all right. Laugh, it'll ease the pain. Oh, I thought of this one when I was studying this morning. I thought, should I? I thought, yeah, we're already in. Let's go out a little deeper. The, the I'm screaming for acceptance and significance person. The pose that go, look like something like this. Where are my girls at? I bet I can't get five of my friends to repost this. Come on. Y'all know. That's all right. That's all right. Let's move on. The oversharing person that wants to share every detail of their life. I'm like, come on. Are you trying to get people to like you or just gross people out? Oversharing. Oh, and my last but definitely not least, Mr. or Mrs. Political Person. They love, you never have to question what they believe, who they're voting for, what party they're associated with. And if you ever disagree with them, they will be kind enough to tell you how stupid and wrong you are. And they will not defriend you because you disagree with them. Why? Because they want to post more stuff that will suck the life right out of you. Life suckers. Now, we also have real in-person life suckers. Now, I made my own top ten. Feel free to add more, if you will. But here's my top ten. Number ten, you ready? People who approach life with a sense of entitlement but have very little gratitude. Mm. Number nine, people who are always making withdrawals but rarely, if ever, make any deposits. Come on, they're always taking, taking, taking. But if you need something from them. Number eight, 
People who always demand their rights but neglect their responsibilities. Is this guy going to preach or just tell us all the things that are wrong? Um, number seven, people who don't follow through on, with their commitments. Number six, people that act as if whatever they're dealing with should be the center of the universe for everybody else. Number four, people that talk a lot but never listen. Number three, people that excuse their own sin while pointing out everybody else's. Mm. Number two, people that don't want to put in a lot of effort, but they want great results. And my number one, people who continually complain about their situation, but never do anything about it. Those are my top ten. Feel free to add to the list. Uh, can we be honest? Those people can be hard to deal with. Come on. It's okay to be, be honest. These people can be hard to deal with and love, right? Do you know what my biggest frustration, though, is with that top ten list I just gave you? Is I know this. On any given day, I can fall into every one of those top ten. On any given day. And if I'm being honest with you and myself, I found that the number one life-sucking, energy-draining person in my life is me. In the words of the great poet Snoop Dogg, he is I and I am he. Some of you are like, who is this Snoop Dogg he talks of? So how do you love people that seem to suck the life out of you? Here's where it starts if you're taking notes. You need to recognize how much you suck too. Every one of us can have those days when we're not the nicest person, when we're not the kind, when we're draining somebody else's energy. We're draining somebody else's life right out of them because we can all be needy people. Amen? See, I know we want to rid ourselves of all the life and energy suckers in our life, but it starts with realizing, hey, I can be that person too. I can be that. And if I'm being truthful and transparent, I don't need somebody else to suck the life and energy out of me. I do a great job myself. So we've been looking at the Apostle Paul. And so we're going to continue in that thing with Romans 7. Romans 7 opens up with Paul talking about how we're no longer bound to the law. In, in verse 4, he says, you die to the power of the law when you die with Christ. He goes into talking about how we've been controlled by our sinful nature, that sinful desires were at work at, within us. He talks about how the law was good because it showed us the sin that was in our lives. Then he makes this statement in verse 10. I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, they brought spiritual death instead. And if you're wondering what I'm reading, is not the scripture up there on the screen. And in verse 14, I want you to listen to what Paul says. The trouble is not with the law. It's spiritual. It's good. The trouble is with me. 
for I am all too human, a slave to sin. That's the apostle Paul talking. Now let's jump down to verse 21. Look what else Paul says. Starting with verse 21. I've discovered the principle of life. When I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law. With, with all my heart, I love it. But there is another power within me that is at war with what? Come on, what's it at war with? My mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Verse 24. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Can anybody say amen? amen. Now let's break this down back to verse 21. Paul says, I've discovered this principle of life. When I want to do what is right, I do what is wrong. The apostle Paul is being very transparent about his walk right here. He says, I, I want to do what is right, but I end up doing something I know I shouldn't. But what I love about Paul, he doesn't say, I want to do right, but so-and-so taught me into doing what was wrong. He says, the problem's right here. I, I'm the one. The, the law is the problem. He said, the problem is right here with me. So how does this tie in to loving people that just get on our nerves? Because here's the thing. Let, let me, now you got to be honest, church, or this is not going to work. Does anybody, when I talked about everybody having that life-sucking, energy-draining person in your life, did anybody have somebody that came to mind? Come on. Come on. Is it just me or is, is it just because I'm a pastor? Uh, here's the thing you got to know. Because if you're honest, everybody in this room can put their hand up. You probably get on somebody's ever-loving nerves, too. There are people in your circle, they may not tell you that. You may know, but you can be that also for somebody else because we are all prone to be the center of our world. Here's the thing if we're honest. A lot of times, I know for me, a lot of my frustration with somebody else, a lot of times it's just an indication of something deeper going on inside of me. But the problem we have is we like to dress up our issues. What we will point at and call sin in our own lives, their issues, their struggles, their hurdles. But here's the thing. Just because you and I change the name of it doesn't mean it isn't what it is. We may call it issues, but God calls it sin. And Paul said this in Romans 5, 8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What does that mean? That means when we were in our lowest place, when we were at our suckiest, when we were terrible people, God didn't wait for us to be good. No, he's died for us then while we were still sinners. Jesus said, hey, I love them. No, right now they're not living up to the potential, but I know what I've put inside them. And they'll get there. Paul saw this in himself. Look what he says in 1 Timothy 1. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. I love this. I love Paul. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom 
I'm the worst. Aren't we terrible about comparing our sin with everybody else's? I'm not bad compared to so-and-so. Paul says, no, 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 no. I'm the worst. In my circle, I'm the worst because I know me. I know what's going on. He says, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, me, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe him and receive eternal life. Paul says, here's where it starts, with me. When I take the focus off of everybody else's problems, everybody else's sin, and I put the focus on the mercy and grace that he has poured into my life, it makes it a lot easier for me to not look at others. In fact, when I look at others, I see me and who I was before God's grace. And I know God's grace can cover them like it did me. Jesus says something in Matthew 7 that gets misquoted a whole lot. Judge not. Come on. What is it? Do not judge, you two will be judged. And I want to stop right there before we read the rest of that scripture because this verse gets pulled out by followers of Jesus as well as non-followers of Jesus. Whenever they think you disagree with some of them or a lifestyle they've chosen and, and you don't agree with it, maybe you're not, oh, don't judge, don't judge. Can I tell you, Jesus is not talking about assessing behavior When my brother Casey, and I'm not saying anything that he's not publicly said. When he was deep in his addiction, and he was stealing from everybody to feed that addiction. He stole from people at the church. He stole from my family, me and my wife. What, was I judging him when I called him an addict and a thief? I was simply assessing the behavior that he was showing. Can I tell you, when somebody shows you the fruit of their vine, believe them. Are you following me? If you lie to me over and over and over again, and I say, man, you're a liar. I'm not judging you. I'm just assessing your behavior, what you've been doing. And so Jesus is not talking about that right here. So let's keep reading. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, yet pay no attention to that two by four in your own eye? He says, how can you say to your brother, hey, let me take that speck out of your eye. Well, the whole time, you've got a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. Jesus said this, don't think, don't assume you know somebody's heart because you don't. And he said, when you get so focused on what's going on or what's going wrong or what somebody else is doing to the point where it causes you to neglect or overlook the things that are happening in your own life, you're a hypocrite. Here's one of the things I've noticed, though. People that are hypercritical are usually hypocritical because they use their... They're, they're, that being hypocritical 
They, they use it they, to hide what's really going on. Jesus says, hey, take the two by four out of your own eye because it's keeping you from being able to see your brother or your sister clearly. Number two, if you're taking notes, here's what you got to do. Put down the magnifying glass and pick up a mirror. Mm. That magnifying glass that you use to inspect everybody else's junk. And pick up a mirror and begin to look. Here, David knew this. Look what he says in Psalms 139, 23, 24. David prays, search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting. David knew, hey, if I allow myself, I can see things in everybody else's life and miss what's going on in here. So, God, I'm asking you, maybe there's some things I've got used to. I've grown numb to. So, I'm asking you, search my heart. Show me anything that offends you. Show me things that don't need to be there that I've been okay with. Jesus said, get the log out of your eye so that you can see clearly. And here's why that's important. Because when you begin to see clearly, when you begin to see Jesus, the same Jesus that loved you through your mess, through your dysfunction, through your sin, through your failures, that that same Jesus that loved you like that, he wants to use you to love other people like that. Let's move quickly. Third way, you got to define your own property lines. And let me say this. this some of y'all, this may be the most important uh, section that you hear today. Define your own property lines. Any, anybody got property? Anybody ever build a fence on that property? If, if you haven't, well, here's what I, I haven't learned this the hard way, thank God. But um, if you want to build a fence on your property, you don't just say, oh, look, they stopped mowing there. That must be my property line. And then you start digging and putting in a fence. No. You have to call somebody to come out, survey the land, tell you where your land stops and theirs be, their, their land begins. And I say that to say this because some of you are in bad need for God to come and do a survey because you've been mowing somebody else's grass that you thought was your responsibility. Set up those property lines. A well-known Christian psychologist and author, Dr. Henry Cloud, in his book, Boundaries, says this. Christians shouldn't be building barriers to keep people out. But we must build boundaries or else the love of God won't be protected in their hearts and in their lives. And then we won't have anything to give. That leads us to number four. Unconditional love does not mean unrestricted access. Boundaries are biblical. Are you hearing me? Boundaries are biblical. Kelly, show me that in the scripture. I'm glad you asked this. Let's go. Look here what the psalmist says, Psalms 1-1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. That sounds like a boundary to me. Hey, you want to you, you want to get closer to God? There's some people you're going to have to put a boundary up and not be able to con be constantly hanging out with them. I used to say this when we were youth pastors. Hey, show me the five people you hang out with the most, 
and I'll show you your future. You got to set boundaries. Look at Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart. Everything you do flows, uh, flows from it. Guard your heart. That sounds like a boundary to me. There, there, can I tell you, there are some people that you cannot give access to your heart or your dreams. You know, not everybody knows that when, when Denise and I, I didn't share this first service, but when Denise and I, when we started praying about coming up here to pastor, we didn't share that with anybody but some very close people we knew would pray. Why? Because I'm going to tell you, you share the vision as God that God has given you with somebody that doesn't need to hear it. They're going to begin to tell you why it can't be done and why you shouldn't do it. I remember Perry Noble told this story years ago, and I still remember it. He said, I was in this restaurant, and uh, where I was sitting, he said there was like a three-year-old girl sitting right here direct on her parents on the other side. So we began to make faces at each other. And he said, I just, he said, went back and forth and said, now to the people that could not see the little girl, I look like a madman. And that's what you need to understand. Everybody's not going to see what God is showing you. So you better be careful who you share your dreams and your vision with. Set up boundaries. Oh, somebody needs to hear it. What about Jesus? Look at Jesus. We all know this story. In Matthew 16, Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. That's Jesus talking to one of his disciples. Yet nobody says, poor Peter. Why did Jesus talk to him that way? No. Did, did Jesus love Peter? Come on. Did, absolutely love Peter. Peter, but here's what you need to understand. When it came to Jesus fulfilling the will of his father, there was a line that could not be crossed. And I say that to say this. Some of you have got people in your life. They are not leading to your destiny in Christ. They are taking you away from it. They have become toxic in your life. And you need to set up a boundary. If they are not leading you to become the man, the woman, the wife, the husband, the father the mother you're called to be boundary boundary and this goes along with what i said a couple of weeks ago if that really hurt maybe that's an idol god's trying to remove from your heart look what jesus said in matthew 18 if your brother sins against you go on facebook and tell everybody Call the prayer group and let them know how bad it's gotten. He said, go tell them it's fault between you and him alone. You and him alone. And listen, if that doesn't work, then you go get a couple of brothers with you. And you go back to them. Take one along with you that every charge may be established of two or three witnesses. He said, then if he refuses to still listen... Tell it to the church. Then you bring it before the church. Still doesn't say and make it public, does it? But look this. But then if you won't even listen to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. In other words, a boundary then is going to have to be set up. Paul takes this a step further. 
I mean, look what he says in, in, in when he's talking about people in the church trying to cause division. Look what he says in Titus 3.10. For a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. That's a, that's not a, that's a wall. I mean, he's setting up a boundary. That's the apostle Paul saying, set up a, 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 a boundary. Listen, God's commandment for you and I to love people is not a license to allow them to mismanage the gift that he has placed in your life. I tell people this all the time. They'll call me in a panic. Listen, your failure to plan does not constitute an emergency on my part. Are you hearing me? This is so good, Pastor Kim. Thank you for preaching to us because you love us. Hey, um, we spend a lot of time trying to help people. And we should, right? We should. But here's the thing. You cannot help people that need help. You can only help people that won't help. That want it. Boundaries. I love my wife, Denise. This woman has stuck with me for 32 years. And, man, 31 and a half of those years has been a breeze for her. But there was like a six-month period where she, you know, no. I love this woman. You know what? I've known Bob a long time. He's like a son to me. I love Bob. But Bob doesn't have the same access into my life that my wife does. Are you, are you following me? I, I, I love Bob, but I am not commanded to express my love to Bob the way I'm commanded to express my love to my wife. In fact, I think it's the opposite. I'm commanded not to express my love to Bob like I am to my wife. Come on, are you with me? But would anybody say, oh, Pastor Kelly, you don't love Bob. No, nobody. Why? Because we do understand those boundaries, don't, don't we? Uh, but but he, See, there are boundaries. The way I'm going to love Bob is different from the way I'm going to love Denise. Why? Because the relationship is different. Loving people equally doesn't mean giving them equal access. Let's say I had a landscaping business. And I got a contract with a guy here. Uh, The only person I know that lives in a gated community, so I'm using them. Chaz, Chaz. And and I, I had a contract to mow his yard every week. So Chaz gives me the code to enter into this gated community. Just because I had the code to get into that gated community to mow Chaz's yard, does that give me access to everybody else's yard? No. Because I have access to mow his yard, does that give me access to his house? No. There are boundaries. There must be boundaries that you set up. Is it mean and cruel of Chaz and them not to give me access to their house? No, it's probably smart because they got a really nice house. Here's my point. Number six, the boundaries you set up 
get determined by the nature of the relationship. If I can get Baba, come on up to the keys. There are some relationships in your life, they are permanent. Yeah, there, there are relationships you don't just get to walk away from and say, forget that. You know, there's a, but there are some relationships that you need to walk away from. You know, there's a passage in the Bible that gets used a lot at wedding ceremonies. What God has joined together, let no man separate. Right? What if we flip that? What God has separated, let no man try to put back together again. Because I think a lot of our times, we're pulling out ladders trying to get across this boundary that God sets up and says, no, no. They're not good for your walk with me. They're not good for your destiny in me. But there are some relationships you don't walk away from. doesn't mean you set up boundaries or you don't set up boundaries. You should never give up on your kids, ever. But that, does that mean they have free reign and you don't set up boundaries? Absolutely not. You don't give up on them, but you also don't support their bad habits. You don't give up on them, but if I'm paying for them to go to college... And I find out they're spending all their time partying and not doing anything in school. Guess what? That, they get cut off. Not because I don't love them, but I don't want them to think they can go through life just living and having everything they want. I'm not going to pay for you to live in a fashion that causes you to, to, to never learn responsibility. So my mom loved her son Casey to a fault. And the biggest issue she had, she never could set up a boundary. He'll tell you his biggest enabler when he was that addict was mom. Not because she was given, but she bailed him out every time. Every time there was something that come up. You love your kids, but you also got to set up boundaries. Are you hearing me? And there's some of you kids that you're now that you're grown up, but you're learning you're going to have to set some boundaries with your parents. Because your marriage is not where you leave mother and father and cleave to whoever you're married to. They become like super glue to you come on now I'll say this about boundaries there's some of you in here yeah you you do need to set up some external boundaries here's what I mean if you're if you're being abused mentally physically verbally you call Jesus but you also call the police are you hearing me? You're being abused. You set up a major boundary. Then we got to set up the inside boundaries. 
people you do life with, people that it's not really an option for you to have them or not have them in your life. That's Those are the people that you have to pray for God to guard your heart and guard your mouth. How do we do that? Pay close attention here. Galatians 6, 1 through 5. Paul says, brothers and sisters, someone is caught in a sin. You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Look, look what he says verse 2. Carry each other's burdens. You can take that off the screen up there, guys, if you will. Is this passage of Scripture not up? Because I want them to see this. It's Galatians 6. Carry each other's burdens. And then this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Whose burdens did he say for us to carry? Okay, keep that in mind. Verse 3. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions or draw up the property lines, the boundaries. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Look at this. For each one should carry their own. Which is it, Paul? Two verses ago, carry one another's burdens. Carry your own. Well, which is it? Both. Both. See, there are certain things you can do for people, but there are certain things you can never do for people. I don't care how much you love them. And wisdom is knowing the difference between the two. And there are times when wisdom and boundaries for you may look like this. I can help you carry your burden, but I cannot carry it for you. Stay with me. I can pray with you. I can support you. I can love you. I can be there for you. I can cry with you. I can serve you. I can help you when you cannot help yourself. But I cannot help you when you refuse to help yourself. I cannot carry. I'll help you carry your burden. But I can't carry it for you. Here's why this is an important lesson to learn. Because when you, if you start carrying their burden, you become their savior. And they never learn to rely and get strengthened by God through walking through this. Because every time you've bailed them out, you've carried the burden for them. You've carried the need for them. I don't know most of y'all know this, but I'm going to say it anyway. You can't change anybody. You can give them advice. You can pray for them, but you cannot change them. You know how I know this? Because you and I can't even change ourselves. Everybody in this room, if you're honest, you've got something in your life that if you could change, you would. You would, but you can on your own. So maybe it's time we quit mowing somebody else's yard while the grass is up to our waist and our own. And start taking a dip, different look here. 
See, Karen Lou Holtz, one of the greatest college coaches, football coaches, said this. It's not the load that breaks you down. It's how you carry it. It's how you carry it. See, when you're carrying a load of someone else's responsibility, you're carrying the burden of somebody else's responsibility. You're carrying the burden for them to change. You're carrying the burden for them to quit something, the burden for them to finally get it right. It will break you down eventually. But when you say, God, only you can do what that person needs done. And what I want you to do, I want to join you in the process and help me love them and walk with them through this. Because only you can do what needs to be done. Because I'm going to tell you, you keep allowing withdrawals, withdrawals, withdrawals. The time's coming eventually when you have nothing left to give. There's no more in the tank. You want to know how to really love people? Final. Stay full of God's presence or you won't have anything to give anybody else. Stand with me across this room. Listen. You've got to quit depending on somebody else to fill that tank. You've got to learn how to get in God's presence and allow Him to fill that up. Are you following me, church? Are you following me, church? And and here's the thing. Because a lot of you, you just fill yourselves up on Sunday. And then by the following Sunday, you're running on fumes. When it's through the week, there'll be a continual flow of God's presence in your life. There's some of you here. Your tank is way beyond E. Life has hit you, and you've poured out, you've given out with very few deposits back into you. And you're tired. I know you're here because I've been there. One of the struggles as a pastor is a lot of my studying is done to pour into you. And I have to be intentional in setting aside time for God to pour into me. But there's so many, you're tired. You've got nothing left to give. And you want to be, you would love for God's presence just to just rain. I'm going to ask if that's you to step out from where you're at and make your way down here now because I know you're here. I know you're here. Come on, no shame, no shame. Come on. I've saw saw people crying while I was talking about this. So I know you're here. So whether, whether you leave here full or empty, this is up to you completely. It's up to you. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go into a time of worship because I've found more than anything else, me just getting in God's presence sometimes is all the feeling that I need.